The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom, have, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let, let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, for you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, <clears throat> that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it, is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, that you have spoken I, will do for you, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of, of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know what this, the, the, he did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he, com- and, he commanded them all- and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel that he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Uh, If you have your Bible, if you're not already there, turn to Exodus 33 and 34, and let me pray, and then we'll look at this passage. Father, um, we have a lot to be thankful for uh, this semester, the ways that you have worked in our hearts, um, the ways that you have brought us to repentance, the ways that you've brought about change in our lives. Um, the ways that you've encouraged us, the ways that you've brought 
new people and community to people in this room, the ways that you've brought healing to relationships, uh, and we could go on and on and on uh, on the ways that you've been at work this semester. And we just want to pause and say thank you for all that you've done uh, in our midst and in our lives. We know that this is uh, all from your hand, and we say thank you. Uh, But we ask that you would come again tonight and, through your Spirit, teach us through this passage and encourage us and train us and convict and challenge us and point us to Jesus again uh, as we end our study in the book of Exodus. Uh, We need you. Come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Sean Crawford, that that name probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But uh, he actually, in the 2004 Olympics, he won the gold medal in the 200-meter dash. He went back in 2008 and actually didn't do quite as well because a man, a man by the name of Usain Bolt ran the 200-meter dash that year and smashed the world record. Sean Crawford actually finished fourth that year. The second place finisher in the event was a man by the name of Sandri Martina. The third place finisher was actually one of Crawford's teammates. And when the race concluded, Sandri Martina was running around as he finished second, running around the track celebrating with his flag. And then it was brought to the attention of the judges that Sandri Martina had actually stepped out of bounds and was disqualified from the event. The third place finisher, believe it or not, also stepped out of bounds. And so Sean Crawford actually ended up getting the silver medal because of two disqualifications. But what happened next was shocking. Sean Crawford got in his car or a taxi or whatever, and went straight to the hotel of Sandri Martina, knocked on the hotel door, and says, this belongs to you. I don't deserve it. This is yours. And he gave him the silver medal. And the reason why that draws our attention and kind of draws us in is because people don't do that. When people get glory, they keep it. And they don't want to share it with anyone. And so when we see someone sharing glory, it gets our attention. This semester, we've been looking at the book of Exodus. And we've been looking at the story of salvation through the book of Exodus. And tonight, we end our study in chapters 33 and 34. And we see that the story of salvation involves a God who gives away his glory. It involves a God who shares his glory. And he doesn't share it with people that finish second. He shares it with people that finish dead last every single time. He shares it with people that are stubborn and that are selfish and that live life only for themselves. Because God is a compassionate and loving God, 
and he loves his people so much that he wants to share his glory with them. The theme or the main idea tonight is the glory of God. We're going to look at three things from this passage. Why we need it, why we need glory, what it looks like when you get it, number two, and we'll finish up with how we get it. So let's look at number one, why we need God's glory. Look at verses one through six. This might be a little hard to decipher, but let me summarize what's going on in 1 through 6. God makes a fascinating offer to Moses, and he basically comes to Moses and says this, this relationship between us is not working because you keep trampling on our relationship because you are a stiff-necked people. And so here's what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to send an angel I'm going to put you in the promised land, and I'm going to give you success. But you will not have my presence. I will not go with you. And do you see what God's doing? God is giving Moses the religion that the average American desperately wants. Comfort, health, wealth, and prosperity. And success. He comes to Moses and says, You can have all the benefits of God without any of the maintenance cost. Doesn't that sound like a heck of a deal? And isn't that what oftentimes what we want? And Moses' response is amazing. Look at what Moses responds in verse 15. Moses won't have any part of it. He says, no, because without you, we will die. Look at what he says. If your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He says, don't even send us if you're not going to be present with us because we will die in the desert without you. Let me put it another way. Human life is meaningless without the glory and the presence of God. You see, Moses tapped into something in his soul. Moses knew that he was made for God's glory. He knew that he was made for God's glory. And human beings, as we look at the Bible, the Bible says that you and I and any human being is made to be dependent upon something. The Bible says that you and I are looking from the moment we're born to lock on to something in order to give ourselves meaning and hope and love And we lock on to things or to some other person in order to give us acceptance and truth. In other words, the Bible says that you and I were built for glory. We're built to worship. And it's not a matter that some people worship and some people don't. Everyone's a worshiper. You're either worshiping God and he's at the center of your life or something else, or someone else is ruling and reigning in your heart. But you were built in such a way 
that in order for life to work properly, God has to be at the center of your life. That's what the Bible teaches us. And Moses gets that. Augustine said hundreds of years ago, Augustine says that human beings have a God-shaped vacuum in their heart and that our souls are restless until we find rest in God. Moses understood that. And he knew that he was made for the glory of God and that he would die without it. And so then the question becomes, what does that mean for us today in November of 2013? Well, I love what Tim Keller says. He says it means this. I love this quote. That every outstretched set of arms, every mountain, every landscape, every piece of art, as wonderful as that is and as beautiful as that is, is meant to point you to this. Those things are meant to point you to the glory of God. And it's what G.K. Chesterton was getting at. And I used him last week as a quote, and it reminded me of this quote. But it's what Chesterton was getting at when he said that every time a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. In other words, every time you abuse alcohol, you're looking for glory. You're looking for God. And every time you go home with someone from the levee or the library and you take your clothes off with someone that you barely know, you're looking for God. You're looking for glory. That's what we need. More than anything else tonight in this room, what we need is for our lives to be filled with the glory of God. You see, in all of the pleasures, in all of the love, and in all of the beauties and joys in our lives, all of those things that we've ever known or sought are meant to point us to the glory of God. And if you don't believe tonight... And maybe you don't understand all that I'm saying here in this first point. Please don't stop exploring until you do. Because otherwise you will spend your life chasing things that will leave you empty. Because only the glory of God can satisfy your soul at the deepest level. Moses knew that. He needed the glory of God. And you need the glory of God in your life tonight too. Number one, why we need it. Secondly, what does it look like? You know, the glory of God, all this talk about the glory of God can be a very slippery thing. I acknowledge that. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you're saying, this sounds incredible. This sounds great, but how in the world do I know if I'm experiencing the glory of God? Well, when we look at the word glory, it actually gives us a hint. The word glory in the Hebrew is the word kavod, and it actually means weightiness. It means something of substance or something of matter. And so we could say a lot about it 
and what it means to experience the glory of God. But one of the things it definitely means is that you know that you're experiencing the glory of God when God begins to matter to you more than anything else in your life. In other words, you start to give weight to your relationship with God. And God moves from the outskirts of your life and the edges and the fringes right to the dead center of your life. And you'll know it's happening when you stop going to God to get things from God. But you start going to Him in order to get Him. In other words, what starts to happen is you say, Yes, God's given me and answered my prayer of comfort, and maybe He's given me that relationship that I've longed for, or He's given me popularity. I'm in with the group that I'm in, but it's not good enough anymore because instead of wanting those things, you want Him more than anything else in your life. And here's what it means. It means that one of the ways you can know whether or not you're experiencing the glory of God is by looking at your prayer life. Why do I say that? Well, notice Moses' prayer. Look at verse 18. Moses prays, show me your glory. You see, our prayers tell us a lot about what's going on inside of us and the spiritual condition of our heart. It reminds me of a story I heard of a five-year-old boy. Uh, He and his family, uh, and he and his father were in the car, they were traveling, and they came up on an accident. And it was in this family, it was basically one of the things that they did was every time that they drove up on an accident, they would pray for the people in the accident. Well, it happened. And so a father's with his son, and he looks over at his five-year-old son, and he says, hey, would you mind praying for the accident? And his son said, sure, I'll pray. And he says, he begins his prayer, God, please don't let the accident block the entrance to McDonald's. (laughs) And that's funny and humorous, but is that the way we pray? Or do we pray like Moses prayed? God, show me your glory. Do we get up in the morning and do we pray, God, show me your glory today? You know what? I don't pray that way. And you know why I don't pray that way? Can I be honest? Because I don't want it. And I don't want it for the reasons that you don't want it. Because if that prayer is answered, what happens? God starts tinkering with your life. If that prayer is answered, it's basically like praying, God, show me your glory. Be with me or else I'm going to die spiritually. When we pray, show me your glory, it's basically like coming to God and saying, own me. Command me. When we pray, show me your glory, we go to God and we say, God, we take our hands off of our life. Now you're in control. 
And when the glory of God shows up, it means that maybe some things in our life we have to stop. Or when the glory of God shows up, it means that there are things that we're not doing that we have got to start doing. Or the glory of God shows up and he puts his finger on a broken relationship and says, you need to fix that. Or he starts setting a new agenda for our lives and we have to start using our time differently. Or he sends us on a new adventure that we never thought we would be on because he's called us there and it scares us to death. And I know this sounds hard. And you might be saying, well, I'm not sure I really want that. Because I want to be comfortable. I'm not sure I really want that life. Why should I want it? Because it's where the glory is. Remember what Moses said? God come and said, you can have a life of comfort. You can have your best life now. You can have the good life. But you won't have me. And Moses says, no, I will have no part of that. Because without you, we will die. Friends, the beauty of praying, God, show me your glory, is that yes, some things might have to be different in our lives. But God will be with you. And that will make all the difference. The first point, why do we need it? Secondly, how do we get it? I'm sorry, secondly, what does it look like? Thirdly, how do we get it? Look at chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. That's the, it's on your announcement sheet. So here's the scene. Moses is coming down the mountain as he's done many times, but something's different. What's different? His face is shining. And it's not just shining a little bit, it's shining so dramatically that it scares the living daylights out of the people. But look carefully at the passage. Notice the radiance of his face begins to fade away the longer he's away from God. And at first glance, when we look at this passage, we think that the reason why Moses' face is veiled is so that he won't scare the people. But that's not it. Look closer. Did you notice that whenever Moses came back down the mountain and he first spoke to the people, his face was not veiled? He only put the veil on his face after he spoke to the people. And the question is why? When an amazing passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and following, and I encourage you to look that up, the Apostle Paul tells us the reason. And he says the reason why he would veil his face is because his radiance would begin to fade. And Moses didn't want the people to see the radiance of his face fading because then they would start to doubt and panic the presence of God with them. And then he says something amazing in 2 Corinthians 3. 
Then the Apostle Paul says, listen to these words. You can look it up later. We are not like Moses. He's talking about us. Who had to put a veil over his face because now, because of Jesus, we now with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. What does that mean? Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Moses was great. But Jesus is greater. Moses is great, but his glory is nothing compared to the glory of God and to the glory of Jesus because Jesus' glory will never fade. Because Jesus' glory is not derived, it's not inherent, it's permanent, and therefore it doesn't fade. I watched a YouTube video a few weeks ago about the Olivet Michigan Eagles. They're a middle school football team in Olivet, Michigan. And the team decided to get together, the whole team was in on it, they didn't tell their coach. And they decided to come up with a series of plays that they were going to put in for the next game. And a few of the plays included that when they got the opportunity to score, they wouldn't do it. They would actually, if they had a chance to score, they would get as close as they could to the end zone, to the goal line, and they would take a knee. Well, it happened. The next game came around. They did an end around, a reverse, and the wide receiver is heading straight for the end zone, and he gets as close as he can to the goal line, and he takes a knee. And it's interesting, if you watch the clip on YouTube, the people in the stands, there's the parent that's going absolutely ballistic because he didn't score. The coach is going crazy. Like, what are you doing? And then at that moment, the entire team runs over to the sidelines. And they huddle around their coach and they say, we want Keith Orr. Keith Orr was a disabled little boy on the team. Way smaller than everyone else. But the coach, out of the goodness of his heart, allowed him to just kind of be a part of the team in dress, even though he would never get to play. And the team looked at the coach and says, we want Keith to play and we want him to score. Out marches Keith Orr. Lines up in the backfield. The quarterback takes the ball, hands it to Keith, and the entire team makes a circle and wraps themselves around Keith Orr and they push him into the end zone and he scores. Changed his life. And his parents said it was exactly what he needed. Middle schoolers. Giving away glory. Friends, we've been looking at the book of Exodus this semester. You want me to summarize it for you? Well, if we could summarize it, it might go something like this. You are Keith Orr. 
We are far more disabled by sin than we realize. And we desperately need a mediator. And as you've seen this semester, week after week after week, we've come and we've seen the book of Exodus says, Jesus, he's the mediator. He's greater than Moses, better than Moses. He's the mediator that you're all looking for. And when we look at Jesus, here's what we see. A mediator that gives away his glory. And he gave away his glory because he steps down out of heaven and he comes down and he walks the earth and he goes and he hangs on a a tree. And in doing so, when you have faith in him, he comes and he wraps himself around you just like this middle school team did with Keith Orr. Jesus wraps himself around you and you know what he does? He gives you his glory. He gives you a glory that will never fade away. Do you want glory tonight? Then come to Jesus because that's where the glory is found. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard in bold prayer, but by faith and by grace we make it. And it's very simple. God, show us your glory. Show us Jesus now. May he be revealed in a greater way in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.